This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb and Sycamore, covering much of central and also northern Illinois, and we're growing, and we're going to try to grow both north and south and give you even uh, more coverage. We're going to have a great show for you today. Uh, I want to thank our guests uh, that last week for last week's show. I've been told that it was a really good show, and of course, uh, I think it was because we had a couple of wonderful guests. Donna Redding and Michael Knackers were with us, and they were RNs and did a great job. And also, my wife, Lynn, also is a nurse, and uh, she did a great job. We talked about death and dying and mourning, a topic that might seem strange or a little bit uh, sort of uh, dark. But on the other hand, it's all around, uh, it's us. All around us, and it's something we have to meet and face. And they did such a good job uh, talking about it and uh, bringing a lot of important uh, points about it and uh, preparations for it to our audience, and so we thank them very, very much. Yes. We'd like to have them back again. Yes, I would like to have them back. We have some other topics right around that topic, and I'm, we mentioned uh, a couple, and, and we'll get back to that uh, in the future. I think we'd have a couple of good shows there. Remember, uh, we are being brought to you by you. It is you that uh, make it possible for this radio station for this show and for everything on EWTN to come to you. So your donations are important. We are also having our spring carathon coming up here. You should be listening for it. And uh, when it starts, do what you can to donate and to help us out. Uh, It'll be coming up here shortly. So those are a couple of things to keep in mind. You can go to our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. If you would like to make a donation, we would be pleased to get anything that you are able to give to help us out. And uh, if you would like to call us, that number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. You can also make a donation that way. But uh, at any rate, uh, we're going to have a great show for you today. Our topic is going to be about actually what's uh, sort of important that's been going on here concerning the uh, uh, war in Ukraine and uh, some of the sanctions center around oil and fossil fuels. And uh, we're going to talk about that today, this idea that we have to transition over to a green form of energy or a clean form of energy, if you want to put it that way. And uh, are we being told the truth about this? And uh, what are exactly the facts about a transition over to a clean or green form of energy? I think as Catholics, uh, we need to know more about it. Uh, it says in scripture that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I think it's up to Catholics to try and discern what are the real things going on in the world and sometimes what uh, may be uh, exaggerated or not the actual facts uh, in our daily living, as well as the truth of our spiritual lives and uh, the truth uh, of religion. 
So I think that it covers a broad spectrum here, and we'll go into that. Before we start, I'm here with my wife, Lynn, again, and she is going to talk on the uh, consecration of Fatima, and uh, I'm going to turn this over to her, and uh, she'll talk about that topic. Sure. Thanks, Bob. Um, First of all, I want to report that my crocuses are up and blooming around the front porch. I'm just so thrilled. And then I look out the back window, and we have what we call, what are called surprise lilies. And in the spring, they shoot up their green green foliage. You know, they look like, uh, oh. They sort of look like uh, irises, don't they, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's just the, the green foliage, foliage comes yeah. up. And it stays that way till. It gets enough sun probably in June. It all dies off, and you think it's all died and gone. And lo and behold, in August, up come these beautiful white or really light purple flowers. They're called surprise lilies. Yeah, maybe I'm. I should be saying they look like sort of like tiger lilies when they're growing, don't they, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. those pointed. Yeah, mm. can't find the word. But I did want to have the blades. Yeah, they have blades, and that's what's up now. Right. And our tulips, the early tulips, are the leaves really up. So. And I almost forgot to mention that uh, actually, uh, spring starts. uh, We're we're recording this show on a Saturday. Spring starts uh, on Sunday. You'll be hearing it on Sunday. So when you're hearing this show, uh, it it will be spring. Yeah. What? Welcome, spring. Can use some of that sunshine, though. Yeah. Well, what I wanted to talk about was Fatima. You know, remember that Mary repaired to the three peasant children in Fatima, Portugal, almost 100 years ago now, or maybe a little over 100. 17, yeah, it's over 100 years but she had told them several things, and especially Lucia. Uh, Lucia, the oldest one, she, the other two, her cousins, didn't survive, but uh, <clears throat> Lucia did, and she just died a few years ago. She lived to quite an eight uh, uh, near a hundred, if not a hundred. Anyhow, she had predicted some things, and in 1929, she wrote and told the Pope that uh, Our Lady had requested that they consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart, and if they did, it would there would be an end to the in the wars and there would be a period of peace and the her immaculate heart would uh help heal the world well <clears throat> she had asked specifically that the pope in conjunction with all the bishops in the world were to do this together well we've had about 6 7 consecrations or uh, so far that weren't done that way. So this time, the Pope, Pope Francis came out and he said that he wanted to do this on March 25th, the Feast of the Assumption 
I mean, the Annunciation, I'm sorry. The Annunciation, which is March 25th, which will be next, this coming week. But he didn't, he said he was going to do it from Rome and then have his legate in uh, Portugal. And they were going to do it at the same time. Well, this kind of got a lot of other bishops in a little bit of an uproar because it didn't satisfy what the Virgin had asked. She asked for all bishops. Well, as it turns out, the Pope says he's inviting all bishops and their uh, presbyters to join them. Remember, a presbyter is a priest, and they are asked to join these the bishop and the cardinal and the the pope at the same time 1700 rome time to do this and it will be done on the 25th the world sure needs it now and let's pray that that happens Okay, Bob. Well, I heard it, certainly hope so, and I certainly hope that it's efficacious because of, you know, what's going on in the world. But at any rate, referring to that, what's going on in the world, uh, we've been talking so much, you know, this war concerns a lot, in a way, the, 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 the topic of uh, fossil energy, that is oil, and in this case, we're putting sanctions on Russia, and one of those sanctions is to cut off... Uh, their supply of oil that they sell to us, and that would hurt their, you know, economy, of course. And the whole idea uh, has been uh, discussed and talked about, and the fact is is that we have inflation right now, which is uh, rampant, and one of the things uh, about the inflation, of course, is the extremely high gas prices. And, of course, when we have fuel prices that high, it leads to high prices in many, many other things. I mean, everything is concerned with uh, fuel, with energy, all of our grocery products and our appliances and all other products are brought to us uh, by truck or rail or whatever. It all takes energy, and most of that energy is fossil energy. It comes a lot of it, of course, from oil, which is made into diesel fuel and gasoline and, of course, many other products as well. So uh, a spike in energy uh, costs uh, a lot and spikes in other things as well, and it contributes to the inflation that is running rampant. There are other main causes for inflation, of course, but uh, these contribute. And so I want to talk uh, about this idea of, you know, we are trying to, according to uh, the people who are in favor of transitioning over from fossil fuels to what they call green energy or clean energy, and we are being told that there is climate change and uh, that the climate change requires that uh, we put less carbon in the air because that's contributing to it. And therefore, we turn, turn over to a cleaner energy and we have to make this transition. So this is what I'm going to talk about. And uh, when I'm talking about the truth, uh, are we getting the truth from both our government and from a lot of these people? Uh, I think maybe perhaps there's a lot of uh, people in this country, both on both sides of the question, who are uninformed. And, uh, of course, there is also uh, misinformation that is out there about this thing. 
But I think there is a lot of disinformation going on, and it's being put out uh, by people who are pro uh, green or clean, and also uh, being put out by our government. So, without going into it any deeper, I want to talk about the fact is, is it possible to transition over from fossil fuels to green energy, especially in this period of time that uh, our government and that a lot of these people who promote this are saying we have to do it. A lot of people are saying, that well, this has to be done by 2035 or 2040. In another 15 or 20 years, is it possible to change over in 15 or 20 years? Is it possible to change over to this so-called green or clean energy at all? And uh, certainly there should be a lot of facts on this. And uh, why are we not being told the exact facts? So I'm going to address this by reading an article by a Mark P. Mills. The article appears in the March 9th edition of the Epic Times. And Mark Mills is a Manhattan Institute senior fellow and partner in the Montrose Lane Energy Tech Venture Fund. He served as chairman and CTO of ICX Technologies and helped take it public. Mark also served in the Reagan White House Science Office and was on experimental physicist and development engine. He was, rather, an experimental physicist and development engineer in microprocessors and fiber optics. And he has an article called in uh, the the Epic Times, the invisible energy transition. And he talks about this from a very factual point of view and from a point of view of uh, science and physics. So let's go into this article and see what Mark has to say and see if what we are being told and uh, about this transition uh, fits what the actual facts that we can discern and know. So we'll start and uh, to talk about uh, a little bit more after we finish the article, if we have the time. But anyhow, he says, the world, we're told, is not only undergoing an energy transition, but an accelerating one, except it's not. This isn't to suggest that there's anything false in all of the headlines about record increases in electric uh, car sales, huge plans for more solar and wind installations or massive government spending and mandates to affect an energy transition. That's all true, but a rapid transition away from traditional energy just isn't visible in the data. Oil, natural gas, and coal supply 84% of global energy. That share has shrunk by a mere two percentage points over the past two decades, and that's after more than $5 trillion being spent by governments in pursuit of avoiding fossil fuels, along with endless admonitions and mandates in the age of so-called climate awareness. Burning wood still supplies civilization far more energy than all of the world's solar solar panels. Oil still fuels nearly 97% of all the world's transportation. Crop-derived liquids supply most of the rest, with electric vehicles, EVs, 
striving to reach 1% share of that energy sector. And as economies climb out of recession, fossil fuel use has taken off and is already part or close to pre-lockdown levels. Uh, That's with commerce, driving, and especially global air travel yet to fully recover. But now, from Washington to Brussels, policymakers and pundits propose spending far more, many trillions of dollars more, to accelerate the goal of avoiding fossil fuels. Everyone knows why, the climate. Debating the science behind the why is a separate subject, but the how is about energy domains, a subject with very settled physics. Set aside the cost of forcing a faster transition, which is a lot to set aside. The transition narrative ignores two big wild cards. Building the hardware for transition aspirations will require an unprecedented increase in global mining at scales almost certainly unachievable in the timeframes proposed. And aside from the challenges in replacing existing uses for fossil fuels, transitionists fail to account for huge growth in energy demands that will yet come from the kinds of emerging innovations that everyone wants. Engineers have long known that in order to deliver the same amount of energy as hydrocarbon-based machines, Building solar or wind systems instead requires a tenfold increase in the use of common materials such as concrete, steel, and glass. And it requires far more than a tenfold increase in the use of specialty minerals and metals. And when we just stop and think about that, just think about it, not only does it require a 10% increase in all of those things, But think of all of the energy necessary to get all of those things. Where does that come from? So it's something to ponder. And we'll go ahead and continue with the article. At this point, we're going to take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. The Bloomington Knights of Columbus are serving dinners on Friday evenings during Lent. The $10 catfish or shrimp dinner includes potatoes, coleslaw, a veggie, and dessert. Grilled cheese sandwiches are available. Serving begins at 530 on RT Dunn Drive. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about energy, and we're talking about the idea of changing over from our fossil fuels, especially oil and coal, natural gas, to uh, so-called green or clean energy. And we're talking about uh, the transition that people are being told has to happen And uh, we're talking also about how long that transition would be. And uh, it's being talked about in terms of 15 to 20 years or or maybe a little bit more than that, but right in that area. It seems that we are at this point making a sort of war on our own fossil fuels. We have inflation going on and gasoline, of course, is going up in price. And so it's a huge contributor 
to uh, inflation and it's a contributor to the cost of everything else going up because it takes energy to ship and uh, move all of the various uh, sources, resources that we use uh, from place to place. And it affects just about everything. And the whole idea is, is has is, that we need to stop and ask ourselves, is it possible to do this? And uh, are there known facts about this? And I'm reading from an article by Mark Mills, and the article is called The Invisible Energy Transition. And Mark is a, a scientist, and he's talking about the physics of actually doing what we're supposed to do and moving to the so-called green or clean energy. And he's pointing out that uh, the movement so far has been very small after trillions of dollars being spent, and we're expected to spend trillions and trillions more in trying to do this. And it doesn't look like it's uh, very feasible to be doing these things. It says here, we're approaching the second anniversary of a seminal report from the International Energy Agency, that is the IEA, that documented how just starting an energy transition will require the global supply of minerals, rare earth metals, nickel, copper, cobalt, lithium, and so forth, to increase to 4,000% from 700%. Can you imagine that increase? 4,000% from 700%. As a World Bank study put it, the technologies assumed to populate the clean energy shift are in fact significantly more material intensive. That may be the understatement of the century. Until now, that fact hasn't mattered much because wind, solar, and batteries still account for only a few percentage points of global energy. The world doesn't have enough mines now operating or even planned to meet such demand increases. Trying to supply such unprecedented quantities will stress global supply chains. In the world of commodities, that translates into higher prices, inflation for all of those minerals. That will make everything else built from those minerals more expensive, from home appliances to conventional cars and computers. It will also initiate the price tag for an energy transition because raw materials account for 60% to 70% of the cost to manufacture both solar panels and batteries. Contrary to claims about inevitable, continual, and rapid declines in the cost of the machinery needed to pursue the transition, mineral commodity inflation has already slowed and has even reversed price trends. The year 2021 saw a mere 6% decline in average lithium battery prices, a dramatic slowdown from the decadal trend. Battery prices are forecast to rise in 2022. One of China's largest EV, that's electric vehicle, one of China's largest EV makers has already raised thicker prices. Higher commodity costs have pushed solar module prices up by nearly 50% since 2020. Wind turbine manufacturers are struggling to make any profits in an already thin margin business because of higher material costs, and forecasts now see turbine prices rising by 10% in the coming year. 
It bears noting that China is the largest source for a majority of the essential energy materials. The United States depends on imports for 100% of 17 minerals and for more than 50% of 28 others. Plenty of minerals exist under U.S. soil, but proposals to build mines in the United States and increasingly everywhere meet fierce opposition, if not outright bans. The Biden administration recently canceled a proposed copper and nickel mine in northern Minnesota. This was after years of delay and navigating through a maze of regulations. Many of the people who want more solar panels and electric cars are the same ones who oppose mining. As for the ultimate goal of replacing all hydrocarbons, rather than just a bigger fraction of them, consider a geological survey of Finland study. Researchers calculated that the aggregate quantity of minerals needed to meet that goal would be greater than not only than all planned mining, but greater than all of the known global reserves of the minerals needed. Of course, future innovations will moderate mineral demands, but in these realms, efficiency gains of 10% or so are hard won. To make a meaningful reduction in material intensity would require efficiency leaps of tenfold in solar, wind, and battery technologies. Such gains aren't even theoretically feasible. Aside from ignoring those physical and economic realities regarding materials, the aspirants of a transition underestimate how much more energy the world would need. The future won't only have more people, but also more innovations. Entrepreneurs are far better at inventing new ways to use energy than to produce it. It's obvious, but worth stating. Before the invention of automobiles, airplanes, pharmaceuticals, and computers, there was no energy needed to build or power them. The future will have billions more people who will be more prosperous and want what others already have, from better, better medical care to vacations and cars. More than 80% of air travel is for personal purposes. That's 2 billion barrels of oil per year, essentially for fun. And more than 80% of the world's population has yet to take a single flight. In the United States, there are about 80 cars for every 100 citizens. In most of the world, it's about 5 cars per 100 citizens. Hospitals use 250% more energy per square foot than average commercial buildings. And drug manufacturing is far more energy intensive than fabricating cars or even fabricating aircraft. The global information infrastructure, the cloud, uses twice as much electricity as the entire country of Japan. And the former is expanding at a torrid pace. The semiconductor industry at the core of today's supply chain stresses plans to spend $300 billion building new manufacturing plants over the next few years. Those additional plants alone will use twice as much electricity as the country of Denmark.
these are the known trends. While we can't predict the future, we can predict that there will be more innovation. Robots, drones, metaverse, augmented reality, cryptocurrencies, quantum computers, biotechnology, and things not yet imagined. Energy is embodied in each and every single thing that makes life worth living. Not just surviving, but improving safety, comforts, conveniences, and even beauty. We're going to need every form of supply, not just the new or the old. Even the IEA's most optimistic transition roadmap, one that imagines all nations spending vastly more on such a transition than any do now or even propose to do, still has a world in 2050, and that's, you know, 30 years from now, consuming more fossil fuels than in the year 2000. Global energy transitions are very, very slow. There won't be a transition eliminating hydrocarbons for a long, long time. So this, these are the facts out here. I mean, we're talking about a transition that is not even possible. The facts argue against it. I mean, consider just the idea of all of the metals and uh, minerals that will be used. Consider a, mi- a mining increase of uh, 4,000%. Uh, it's simply not possible, even if we didn't have the regulations on this kind of mining. And we're talking about mining mer- rare earth minerals. Now, some of these minerals, especially the uh, metals, are very, very dangerous. Uh, we have the, the, the lithium and, and the uh, cobalt and uh, other very rare, or cadmium is another one. All of these very rare earth minerals that need to be mined. And they need to be mined in huge quantities. Many of them we don't even have here in the United States. And uh, some of them we don't have enough of them and we'd have to get them from other places and be totally dependent, especially on China and Russia. And we're already talking about putting sanctions on China and Russia as it is now uh, concerning this war. Now, if these are all the known facts, uh, you know, what really is going on here? I mean, consider that uh, we can't even make the quantity of electric cars needed. Uh, at this time because we don't have the metals in that quantity. And just think somehow or another if we could. All of these uh, metals, you know, all of these things have to be replaced. Uh, the, the batteries in electric cars have to be replaced. At some point, they do wear out. They really can't be uh, reprocessed. So what do we do with all of this waste metal? Where does it go? A lot of it is very, very dangerous. I mean, we're concerned right now about tailings and so forth from older mines leaking into our water systems. What would happen if we have the massive amount of these metals that we have to dispose of somewhere? And uh, what about the cost of disposing them? China, for example, was doing a lot of work along these lines and has stopped in a lot of places because of the horrible pollution in a a country that's very authoritarian and tolerates a lot of that. How would that be possible to happen here? And what about the costs? Just imagine the cost of all the household appliances and other things that would go up 
by great amounts because we were making all of these things far, far more expensive than before. I mean, so it's very, very difficult to even imagine to be able to do these kind of things. So, you know, what, uh, you know, what is going on here? And then we need to talk also about climate change itself, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in the meantime, I want to ask that question again. What is going on? If we know these are facts, why aren't these facts being given to us? And why are we pursuing uh, a policy that surely the people in the government who have access to many more scientists, uh, such as uh, Mark Mills, and have access to the physicists and the mining people and the people who produce all these commodities, if they have access to all that information that shows that this is going to be an impossible situation, we're not going to be able to do it, we're going to be dependent on, on fossil fuels. And if we understand and know that a lot of these transitions will be actually worse and just as bad as uh, what we, the fossil fuels themselves, you know, for example, we're finding out that uh, windmills are expensive and they have a lot of uh, downside as well. They're hard on the environment in the sense of, you know, they kill a lot of birds and, and things along those lines. And uh, we know that uh, the ethanol, and that is the biofuels, they have to be manufactured from plants. A lot of it is corn. Those crops have to be grown. They need fertilizers. They increase uh, the costs of feed and so forth for cattle and other things uh, and, you know, cause problems along that line and also take up more and more land, uh, crowd out the other crops, and uh, make food uh, more expensive, and we're already living in an inflationary period. So if all of these are problems, and, and again, with ethanol, I forgot to mention we should, uh, it has all of its polluting factors as well. There's a lot of pollution from ethanol that people didn't count on in a different way than gasoline. There's a transportation problem with ethanol. We can't put it in a pipeline. Ethanol cannot be piped. Uh, It has to be shipped by truck or by rail, and that causes a lot of uh, transportation problems. There's more chances of ethanol being spilled in transportation than there is if it were transported in a pipeline like we can transport oil. So what I'm driving at is if there are all of these problems and if this transition is, is as uh, Mark Mills puts it, an, at an invisible transition, in other words, a transition that can never take place, that simply isn't going to happen, and uh, if ever it's going to happen, it certainly isn't going to happen in the next 50 or 100 years, and it's probably going to take even longer than that. So the fact is, is why are we being told all this? Why are we being forced to go with less and less fuel? I mean, these are questions we need to be asking ourselves, especially as Catholics. We ought to know what's going on. Uh, there are other topics we need to talk about along these lines, the destruction of the family and so forth. The question that I'm driving at here, and maybe we'll come back and be able to talk about in the last uh, part of our program, is the government in some way, are politicians, are there people, uh, not only other than politicians, trying to somehow uh, or another drive Americans into a total dependency on the government itself. I mean, we see, for example, over in Ukraine, 
a country that's actually uh, very, very poor for a modern country compared to, say, the United States or some of the European countries. And we see a lot of people living in apartments there, and we see how easy it would be to control people who are totally dependent on government and government resources. And we have people pushing for greater public transportation, uh, the less use of cars, uh, taking buses and trains. We had uh, Buttigieg, for example, the director of transportation, saying that it would be possible for people to switch to electric cars, which, of course, is not possible. The costs of them are, are so high. And uh, we also understand that most people don't want to have to rely on public transportation and lose their independence. So in other words, is there a trend in this country that wants to make the ordinary people in this country more and more dependent on government and uh, less dependent upon themselves and less able to fend for themselves and less able to be disobedient to their government or go their own way or have the same say. So is the, is the, the inflation and so forth, they've been cutting away not only at uh, our standard of living, but also cutting away at our independence and our ability to you know live on our own and have a strong directive force in government. So are these some of the things that are, are being done to us? We need to be asking, especially as Catholics, uh, if some of these things are going on and not take all of these facts at face value without having a long look and, you know, checking some of this information out. We're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. The Bloomington Knights of Columbus are serving dinners on Friday evenings during Lent. The $10 catfish or shrimp dinner includes potatoes, coleslaw, a veggie, and dessert. Grilled cheese sandwiches are available. Serving begins at 530 on RT Dunn Drive. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we've been talking about uh, this energy transition. been talking about an article in Epic Times by Mark Mills called The Invisible Energy Transition, and uh, talking about the idea that somehow or another we can transition from so-called uh, dirty uh, energy, that is, oil, coal, and natural gas, the so-called clean energy, uh, green or clean energy, and uh, wind power, solar power, and uh, maybe biofuels, and uh, also uh, about electrical power being generated uh, from the windmills and, and solar and electric cars and things along these lines. And according to this article, this transition simply really is not possible. All this information is available to almost anyone who wants to look it up. Most of our scientists should be aware of it, and certainly our government is. And with the uh, coming uh, increase in population and also with a lot of uh, third world countries moving into the uh, modern world, they'll be demanding more and more of that energy. They'll be wanting the same things that other countries have. They'll be wanting better medical care and 
uh, better and cleaner water and all of that thing. It all takes energy and, uh, you know, better uh, standard of living, better crops, better, it, it, all of it, it, it takes uh, energy. And we're also looking at the fact that some of these uh, so-called clean and green energies are not as clean and green as we think. We're having problems uh, with windmills as it is. It takes a lot of effort and chemicals and so forth to make solar panels. This uh, creates its own pollution. And we're talking about changing over to electrical cars with all the demand for more mining and also for dangerous uh, types of uh, rare earth minerals that uh, can pollute the environment and leak into our, our environmental system. Uh, carbon-based fuels are actually, in a lot of ways, uh, probably more amenable to the earth than a lot of these uh, 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 rare minerals and so forth would be that we're going to have to mine. The mining right. itself takes tremendous amount of energy. Uh, so the question again is, is, you know, is climate change itself, and we're talking here somehow or another that inevitably if we keep on burning fossil fuels, we are going to cause some kind of destructive climate change. But we know uh, that there has been a lot of climate change in the past. Uh, a lot of that climate change took place before people were around, so we know they didn't contribute to it. We also know that some of that climate change took place when people were here. Uh, we have the ice ages, the last one here that affected uh, the United States and Illinois uh, ended about 15,000 years ago. And uh, that was called the Wisconsin and uh, glaciers that came down into Illinois from further north and uh, affected Illinois was at that time. And people were living in the United States and living here in Illinois at that time when this climate change happened. So the fact is, is the people cope with that climate change at that time. Another thing we have to ask ourselves, are we just being shown one side of the equation? When we talk about climate change, uh, are we, what I'm getting at here is that I can remember back in the 1960s, uh, people thought that uh, certain of our elements, carbon being one of them, but many others would be absorbed by the ocean. Uh, those elements would sink to the bottom and they would uh, become part of the uh, mud and muck at the bottom of the ocean. And as that, that piled up, they would be compressed and they would be uh, moved to a place where we really couldn't get at or mine them. And after enough time, uh, it was predicted that uh, the earth would not be able to sustain life because too many of its essential elements would be trapped and locked up in the floors of the ocean and uh, never to be released again, or if so, in some way unknown to us and uh, at uh, rates that would take so long that their life on earth would be gone long before that would ever happen. That was the idea in the 1960s. I can remember Isaac Asimov. He was a science writer and wrote a lot about science, and, and uh, he was also a very good science fiction writer, wrote a lot of science fiction, but a very well-rounded and uh, very well, well-educated individual. And uh, he wrote articles on this subject and was convinced also that, you know, eventually this would happen in, uh, you know, in the 10,000 or 15,000 years from the 1960s, uh, life would begin ending on earth. It was inevitable. Uh, all of the elements would be trapped at the bottoms of the ocean and never to return to the surface again. 
Very shortly after that, uh, this was all proved wrong because the plate tectonics was discovered and the fact that all the plates of the earth move and that actually the ocean bottoms uh, at one point are pulled under down into the the uh, heated area of the earth and then pushed back to the surface again halfway around the world away and everything was being recycled and so all of this wouldn't happen and life would not end. And so, you know, there was another side to that equation. Are we being just shown one side to the equation of the carbon cycle? In other words, it's being understood now that when carbon goes into the air, it it, uh, causes more rain. And uh, when it rains, the rain actually absorbs and uh, takes the carbon out of the air returns it to the streams in the ocean where the carbon again is taken to the bottom, of course, and then it's recycled and comes back up uh, at a later time and the cycle goes on. And so even though the carbon uh, can vary in the Earth's atmosphere, there are actually uh, processes on the Earth that uh, cause that carbon to be recycled again and taken out of the air and so forth. And so, sure, it does fluctuate, and it can cause climate change from time to time, but that climate change isn't extreme. And uh, while it probably will cause uh, problems, there are problems with our climate the way it is right now that we have to deal with. There have always been hurricanes and tornadoes, and there are earthquakes, and there are uh, other problems that we deal with. Those problems might be shifted in some way in the future, but does it mean that it's some kind of a problem that we couldn't deal with or that it is going to be so great that we have to switch over to these uh, so-called clean energy, which seems to be impossible, and if it did, it wouldn't be any longer be clean? Again, if that's the case, then why are we not being told more about the whole process? And it seems to me that... Uh, there is an effort by people in the government, people in power who want to keep that power and even extend that power. And a lot of these crises could be exaggerated. I'm not saying, of course, that there can't be problems with climate or problems with anything else that human beings face. But uh, let's take a look uh, back in the past. I'll end a little bit. Uh, and, uh, look at some of the climate change that actually happened right here in Illinois 15,000 years ago. We had glaciers here in Illinois. Right. And uh, remember some of the walks we took out at uh, Parklands and other places? Oh, yes, and the rides in the car going up towards Kankakee and where was that other place where you could actually see in the, uh, the geology along the side of a hill? that were exposed, the different layers that showed you what changes did happen. Exactly. Yeah, we were out. Uh, well, uh, well, we'll talk about the Kankakee uh, area. Uh, at, at one time, because of the glaciers in Illinois, uh, and we had ice sheets here that were extremely thick. You know, Some of them covering Illinois were six or 7,000 feet thick in places. And... Uh, up at uh, around Chicago, geologists believed that there was a lake up there called Lake Chicago in geology. 
back at the, the last Ice Age, which was the Wisconsin and Ice Age. That was about, uh, ended about 15,000 years ago. The Ice Age that came here before that was the Illinoisan, and that was 100,000 years ago. And we still have evidences of that. And there but, were people around, I don't know, about 100,000 years, but... Uh, 15,000 years 15, ago. 15,000 years ago, people 10, 000, were here. Exactly, because the effects of it were still lasting, you know, as well as 10,000 years ago. And again, going back up to the Kankakee area, there was uh, Lake Chicago, which was five or six times larger than Lake Michigan, uh, where the ice sheets had blocked in a whole area of uh, meltwater, causing it to be a huge, huge lake. And uh, that lake uh, busted loose. In other words, as the ice melted back, there was a section finally gave way, and that uh, entire lake busted loose and poured down the Kankakee River, and, of course, from there down into the Illinois River. A lot of it, of course, spilled over into the Wabash River and ran down the Wabash. And if you go up in that area, if you go straight east of Dwight and then turn left on the blacktop that takes you up to Kankakee State Park, along that blacktop, that's what Lynn is talking about, you can see huge drifts, huge gravel bars, only the gravel is made up of gravel, you know, as big as the size of two of your fists, you know, held together and piled up. And that gravel was treated by that Kankakee torrent, that gravel that size, as if it were simply sand flakes. In other words, you see sandbars uh, in creeks and so forth now in ordinary rivers made up of flakes of sand. Well, the Kankakee torrent created gravel bars that were made up of pieces of gravel that were the size of fists or bigger. And those, those pile, you can still see those up along that blacktop road uh, in Kankakee, and we, we did visit those. There's a book out uh, you know, by a man by the name of Raymond Wiggers, a geologist. Uh, I don't know if he's still living, but it's called Geology Underfoot in Illinois by Raymond Wiggers. I would recommend people get that book, and it shows all the various places in Illinois that you can see geology right underfoot, and Wiggers explains what happened in those places. Most of them you can drive to by car. A lot of them you don't even have to get out of the car. You can see it right from the car itself. And so for older people, it's quite, uh, you know. We didn't get out of the car much. No, it's quite something you could do. And in other places, you don't have to walk very far. If you get out of the car, you don't don't walk very far at all to take a look and see what Wiggers is talking about. And so, you know, these are all products of climate change. You know, out at parklands, we've gone out there. You can see big boulders out there. And, of course, out in cornfields and so forth in every farmer's fields, you can see them on farmer's yards where they've taken them out of their fields that have been brought down here from Canada. And you can see the scratches on those boulders to show the direction in which the glaciers were actually moving as they moved along. And you can look at all the moraines. We're living right here on the Bloomington Moraine. And those were, those moraines were caused by, as the glaciers melted back, they would stop in places and not melt back for quite a while. And all the dirt and debris that the glacier held would fall out along the edge of the glacier and, and build up a big ridge. And those ridges looked like circles, you know, uh, of uh, water. It, it, you know, it looks at, when it evaporates and starts to melt, you see circles in a bathtub or you see circles uh, in 
in a lake or, or whatever as the, the water dries. And same thing when the glaciers melt back and all these big ridges were left. You can drive along and see, uh, from ridge to ridge as we go along. There's the Bloomington Moraine, and then you can go down, and there's the Moraine that, you know, runs uh, further south, uh, runs through Farmer City and in that area. And if you go north, there are Moraines uh, all along the highway going all the way up to Chicago. Those were all formed by glaciers. So there's a perfect example of climate change, and people were living in the last ice age that hit, and uh, they were able to adjust to it and get along, and uh, they didn't die on account of it. And we are going to have to, if the human race is still around, live through another ice age. They come and they go regularly. This uh, is nature is rebalancing everything and renewing things. Uh, it's a natural process, and to talk about this as if it's the end of the world or that we can do something about it is absolutely insane. The basis of human life in all life is carbon. So why are we getting rid of this carbon or trying to? I mean, you can't. No, we can't, exactly. And so, in other words, we should start taking a lot of this a little bit more Grain of salt. With a grain of salt, but at the same time with a little bit more study and discernment and take a look and start asking questions. What are the facts? And uh, is there really, is this climate change really going to cause all this? And, uh, or if the fact is, is that we can't really transition over to this so-called cleaner green energy, then why is this effort being made to stop the fuel that we're going to have to use anyway? And it seems as if we have to understand, as both Catholics and citizens of the United States, that there are people who like to use crises to consolidate their power and to extend their power, and, of course, uh, money as well. Once people are in power and have been in power for a long time, there's a tendency to, to have their own world and see things their own way and want to concentrate that power. And we've had our, some of our politicians actually say that uh, we can't waste a crisis. And, of course, if they don't have a natural crisis, then why not manufacture a crisis? Or if somebody comes along and suggests a crisis that may not be a crisis, why not jump on it and use it? So as citizens and Catholics, we ought to be taking a look. You know, we shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. And when we start living in a fantasy world, or we start living in a world in which we're governed by fear or governed by crises or governed by things that are really not facts, we give up our freedom all too easily and we're too easily governed. And so we should be looking at these things. And this is why we did the show today on this. And uh, at the same time, at the same time, get that book and you can have a very enjoyable time just going around and seeing the very interesting things that we have here in Illinois in our own state. Yeah. Right. And this is more, more or less recent uh, geology and so forth, because you go way back. And what was Illinois, The whole this whole continent? What was it? Was it all like this? Huh? No. It was, it, there was, you know, the desert and so forth was actually lakes. It was very different. And this is an, how things evolve and change, and it's a very natural process. Now, the next time you're putting gas in your car and you're wondering how much it's going to cost, 
think about this. What are they doing to us? And think about how wonderful it is actually all to have this carbon fuel that nature gave us over many billions and billions of years and uh, how readily available it is. And uh, there are many, many things that we can do with the carbon fuels that we have that would probably be much easier to work with and clean and make better than trying to transition over to something that's impossible and that might in the long run actually make things even worse and pollute our country even worse. So these are some of the things uh, that are important to look at. And in doing so, you can educate yourself and have a very enjoyable time as well. Uh, so I re- strongly recommend that you do get that book. It, it's, it's fun to read, and there are so many places within short driving distance that you can go and see. It makes for a nice day of drive, a nice thing to see, and a better understanding of the world you live in. So with that, we're going to have to stop, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the program. We're going to say our prayer. St. Michael, Michael, the archangel, archangel defend us in battle. Be our protection protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 